afternoon. Welcome to Your American Heritage, where we talk about the two things you're not supposed to talk about in polite society, religion and politics. My name is Ed Bondarank, and I'm not your normal fluffy insurrectionist. My pronouns are what I learned in grade school and not some made-up nonsense. I am a Christian, conservative American citizen by the grace of Almighty God. This show is produced by Derek Stone, the hardest working man in radio. Derek hosts Stone Cold Sports, Sundays, noon 30. Right after my friend Sean Todd, the Rock and Rev, on the intersection at noon, it's... Not your normal fluffy Christian show. Let's go, Brandon. It's day 437 of the coup. The takeover of the American government. This administration is at war with you. They are after us. Those who don't bow down and worship Caesar. Who will not make the government our God. We are at war. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. This is war, and we must realize that it is a spiritual battle. Let's go to war. Father, please lead us and guide us today and in the days to come. Please give us the wisdom we need as we fight the assault on our nation. Please help us retake the government from these traitors and criminals. Please continue to awaken the people to the plan against them, and please move mightily and either bring these oppressors to a place of repentance or imprisonment. Please encourage people to turn to you for support and strength, and please help us in this broadcast today, in our discussion, and please keep us free from technical glitches. Amen. Let's open in prayer. Father, would you please uh, help us through this radio interview? Would you please uh, bless us with your wisdom and guidance? And would you please, please save America? Amen. So, amen. Amen. Yep. My guest today is Doug Giles. Doug is an artist, an author, a hunter, podcast, and video host. He appears to be leading a church in Texas. Some of his books are The Art of Joe, The Political Brilliance of President Biden. I imagine that's a thin book. If Masculinity is Toxic, Call Jesus Radioactive. Another is Rules for Radical Christians, 10 Biblical Disciplines for Influential Believers. Raising Righteous and Rowdy Girls. Raising Boys Feminists Will Hate. And what got my attention? Psalms of War, Prayers That Literally Kick Ass. Now, I skipped over a number of things Doug has been involved in. He's been a big game hunter. Oh, I have a radio show. does a lot of stuff. So... Having said that, if I've missed something, there's plenty of time for Doug to uh, tell us what I missed. So, hi, Doug. How are you doing? Ed, how are you doing, big dog? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, thanks for joining us. Now, I've been interested for quite some time in the proper response of a Christian to the takeover of our rights and liberties and the oppression by the current government. And I really believe that we need to, as Christians and citizens, we need to be praying against this regime that has stolen our government from us. And uh, your book, uh, Psalms of War, really hit a nerve 
uh, as far as I was concerned, uh, I just wanted to read that. And I was really blessed to read it. Uh, what prompted you? I can guess, but what prompted you to write this book? Yeah, I've been a I've been a big student of the imprecatory psalms, and for the uninitiated, uh, these are prayers of David and Asaph uh, in the Book of Psalms that are essentially uh, maledictions that David prayed and Asaph prayed when they got in, into some poo el grande, as we say down here in Texas. And uh, they're they are definitely not your you know pastoral <laughs> now I lay me down to sleep type prayers that most uh, Christians pray, these are the spiritual 44 magnums. These are uh, incendiary intercession, Tomahawk cruise missiles that David launched uh, against his enemies that were ubiquitous. I mean, that, that, uh, that rugged and ruddy little teenager that killed Goliath with a slingshot in a rock, uh, that kid went through more crap than a West Texas stockyard. And uh, not only did he fight his way uh, through these physical battles, but he also waged war in the heavenlies, like you quoted, like you quoted Paul in Second Corinthians ten. And I think David actually probably killed more people with his prayers than he did <laughs> with with his slingshot. Or matter of fact, I do know that he did. And so, you know, a lot of Christians, Ed, when when they look at the imprecatory psalms, and there's a lot of books that are out there saying, well, you know, we don't pray that anymore, and and uh, everything changed through the hermeneutical filter of the cross and the coming of Christ to where we bless our enemies and we don't curse them. And yet there's contradictory, supposedly, uh, statements in the, do- in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul says that in Ephesians 5.19 that we're to worship God with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts one to another. And Jesus, uh, in particular, in Matthew 22, verse 43, in relation to the imprecatory psalm of Psalm 2, which is the displacement of bad governors or or kings or prefects, whoever's, you know, the the lord of uh, the manor who's, you know, uh, driving the nation or the city or a people group in a bad direction, uh, David prayed for God to liquidate them. And Jesus, commenting on Psalm 2 in Matthew 22, 43, said, David spoke by the Holy Spirit. So you got you got these neutered little mamby-pamby Christians who are actually nicer than Christ and the apostles and the prophets, saying that the imprecatory psalms, which the book of Psalms is laced with imprecatory psalms, I think there's 109 imprecations in 150 psalms. They say, yeah, you know, we're not supposed to say those kind of things or pray those kind of things. And yet, you know, the Apostle Paul and uh, Christ himself says, au contraire, this is exactly what we're to say. This is exactly what we're to pray. And these things are massively effective. You know, for the listener and the reader of my book, Psalms of War, uh, Prayers That Literally Kick Ass, first and foremost, as you again open the show with, uh, you know, we're, we're not talking about a carnal battle. We're talking about, you know, spiritual principalities and powers, satanic forces, that lord over uh, certain sectors of our society. Um, However, I would tell people who say, you know, we're only supposed to pray these at, you know, demons and devils and stuff. Unfortunately, uh, people get involved and become implacable and impenitent in their adherence to Satan and his ways, and they become collateral damage. 
And so, yeah, we pray them at demons, but you know what? If you get a group of people that just absolutely will not repent, uh, they refuse to acknowledge uh, God's way, and they're hell-bent for leather to destroy people, groups, and nations and the planet, then, um, yeah, it's unfortunate, but they might have to take one for the team. You know, I I wrote something here in my notes, to, and you've just covered it. If I'm convinced that Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, Liz Cheney, Kamala Harris, and Joe Biden are not going to repent and ask for the forgiveness of Jesus, then how effective will my prayer be that they do that, because I have no faith that that will happen. And at the opposite extreme, I don't want God to be my hitman, no matter how much I scream at the television when they come on, just die, please die, you know, and then I have to repent for that. Asking God to remove them from the scene, no matter how he chooses to do it. And yet at the same time, I'm that kind of wishy-washy guy that says, how do I know Chuck Schumer's not going to repent? How do I know, you know, uh, Kamala Harris isn't going to repent? That's That's part of my problem here. Yeah, so it's uh, it's not for us to know, but it is for us to pray uh, these prayers. You know, God in his sovereignty knows who's the elect and who's going to get converted, and uh, I don't. You know, God God knows I didn't think I'd ever become a Christian because I was <laughs> one uh, drug-addled scallywag, man, that's for sure. <laughs> My brother, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so, so anyway, we don't know. So the from a... a a New Testament Christian standpoint, our hope is that none perish and all come to repentance. But one way, um, and I know this is the hard way that, that I became a Christian, like when my sister and brother-in-law, they started praying and fasting for me when I was a, you know, a, a drug-addled West Texas Beavis and Butthead goober. They prayed that my life would suck. They prayed that everything that I was ambitious towards, which were three things, <laughs> sex, drugs, and rock and roll, that I would find no pleasure in it, that there would be no joy, that, you know, things would just become this dark, abysmal mess for my life. And guess what? God answered all their prayers, and I was salvaged in the process. So I think, you know, again, when it comes to, uh, you know, launching the imprecations, again, which we're commanded in Ephesians 5.19, and, and uh, you know, Paul's replete in Romans 15.4, second uh Timothy 3, I think it's verse 16, is that all Scripture is inspired by God, and whatever was said and done in the Old Testament applies to us in the New Testament. And so it's inescapable that you have, <clears throat> you have this whole book of maledictions, and we're supposed to ignore it. So, you know, I come to the conclusion, no, we can't ignore it, but we also don't know uh, who's going to repent, you know, and who's going to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, do the Nebuchadnezzar, the God of heaven rules, and Daniel, you were right. And uh, you look at the way that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego served in a wicked king's court, and yet were committed to prayer, and flipped a, a Babylonian king after he, you know, ate grass for seven years like a like a donkey. So we, we, we pray these things, we hope people repent, you know, I sure as heck don't want anybody to experience the wrath of God, because that's 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 brutal and it's enduring and um, there's no turning back, you know, from something like that. But in the meantime, in between time, you know, we can't overlook what these anti-theistic Marxist communist forces uh, hope to do with the planet, which first and foremost is going to be the liquidation of anybody who believes in freedom, uh, Christianity, independence, 
Now, these are these are bad actors, and they've always been. And when they get into a place of governance, like in the 20th century, it equates the slaughtering of 100 million people who won't obey them. And so to think that Jesus wants us to turn a blind eye and just do this patty cake prayer that everything comes out in the wash, I think that's I think it's naive. I think it's a a ridiculous view of Christ because he he prayed maledictions like every woe in the New Testament, which when when Jesus says woe, he's not like saying woe to a horse trying to get it to stop. He's he's pronouncing a curse on a people group because of what they did. Uh, to, you know, people who are seeking God and what they did to the nation. And uh, Matthew 23 has the eight famous woes that Christ uh, uh, spoke and prayed down upon the impenitent Pharisees and how they just completely turned a blind eye to God's Son and the prophets. And that was a no-turning-back woe. And uh, God raised uh, Jerusalem to the ground in 70 A.D., few uh, short years after Christ's death, and uh, I believe that was part and parcel of the malediction that Jesus laid on the Pharisees' head in that famous chapter. For for you liberals out there who may be tuning in, malediction means the opposite of benediction. So benediction is speaking well of, and malediction is speaking <laughs> poorly of. You'd, you'd think they'd know that, Ed, because that's all they do about anybody who's Christian or conservative or liberty-minded, that's all, they, they flow in maledictions. They flow in ill wishes. The only problem is, is that most of them are anti-theistic, and so the only court of appeal that they have is, is Satan and his fallen angels, who Christ crushed at his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. And we've got two-thirds of the angelic host on, at our behest, and an almighty God who loves to answer our prayers. So they might, they might want to think about switching teams. Yeah, and that's, that's the repentance part. And that's one thing I pray is that they, uh, they would either repent or imprisoned. <laughs> you know, their choice. But uh, something has to happen. They have to go. You know, one thing, you were mentioning what brought you to the Lord. And something I puzzled over a long time during the Obama years was all the prophetic utterance I heard of there's going to be a great great revival in America. At the same time, it just looked like everything was going to hell. And it even looks that way now. And then it just occurred to me, yeah, when everything goes to hell, like the Great Depression, that's when droves of people flow to the church. And so the one thing that we need to do as Christians is to stand up now to make that commitment so that we can turn this, turn this country around before we suffer more. Yeah, one of the cool things that I'm looking at, just as a uh, somebody who likes to prognosticate and try to read the tea leaves, but my uh, crystal ball has been often clouded, Ed, is um, I'm seeing with young people at stadiums uh, throughout the United States uh, screaming, let's go, Brandon, if you know what I mean. And otherwise. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so so Biden, Biden rocks up to Kentucky, which just got gutted with this just horrendous tornadic activity and stuff that just waylaid cities mm -hmm. is that when Biden shows up there to, you know, to commiserate with the people and just do a photo op, uh, the, the residents of Mayfield start screaming, let's go, Brandon. So say they're not Christians, but they understand that the, the Marxist ideals 
that Biden is the half-dead carrier pigeon for, and he's the mouthpiece of AOC and the squad and George Soros and Bill Gates and all these other uh, globalists and stuff that hate America radically and fundamentally, is that even though um, they might not understand their Christian opposition underpendings and the principles of freedom and liberty, they do understand that that 79-year-old dude who can't even finish a sentence is part and parcel of, of ruining their lives, jacking up gas prices, food prices, mass mandates, jab mandates. Just they're understanding that that this dude has really wrecked the American dream. And so that American dream was predicated upon uh, Judeo-Christian principles that are woven you know, deeply into our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, and the Declaration of Independence. So again, I don't know if they really understand all that stuff, but they do uh, smell a turd when it comes to Biden. And so their sentiment is not like, let's go along to get along. Their sentiment is FJB, which I think is amazing. I've never seen that in my life, brother. I've never seen the love for Trump and uh, and what he did for the United States, and I've never seen hatred for an administration like I've seen hatred for uh, the Brandon administration. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's a it is a for somebody who's willing to look with eyes open. It's a, a demonstrable difference of. You know, for one, people think that uh, Donald Trump is this, uh, oh, egotist, this uh, really nasty guy with nasty tweets. And yet, I believe he's actually, he actually, in the beginning of his administration, became a born-again Christian. And so here you have this Christian president who, you know, is doing marvelous things for the country. And then you've got an administration that is anti-Christian. And everything's going to hell, exactly where they're going they they're taking the economy with them. They're taking the nation with them, and it's it's kind of obvious what the results are. And all if we can get those young people to realize, hey, there's a team. You need to pick the right team here. It's not just a political thing. This is a spiritual battle. You need to get right with God. Right, right, and that's where I think the opportunity, you know, therein lies for uh, the church from a evangelism standpoint. Instead of focusing on, you know, it, is the rapture around the corner, or, oh my God, everything's going to hell, it's like, no, it's not. You've got thousands of college kids that are righteously pissed off. You know, the church is not. The church is always squeamish. church is always wetting their big Christian diaper, praying for the rapture to come get them out of this mess. <laughs> and you've got, you know, these Braveheart-type college students that are telling you know, Longshanks to go pound sand. I think that's a ripe harvest field. I mean, if you look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, when uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he said, you see all these people, that they're helpless, that they're in distress. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And his disciples like, yeah, we see it. He goes, I'm telling you right now, the harvest is plentiful. Our problem is we don't have workers in the field. And so I think, you know, you know, when everybody gets all gloomy and crap, I'm like, these these people, especially Biden and his, you know, goofy Marxist bunch, they are their own worst enemies. The implementation of Build Back America, 
uh, driving our dollar down to where it's, you know, it's, it's kind of there with a South African RAND right now. Uh, again, gas prices, practical stuff, travel, you know, all these, you know, draconian things that are pressed upon the land of the free and the home of the brave. I think by fiat that they are screwing the pooch and, and we really don't have to assist them at all. We just have to point it out. And like you said, we have to not only get, you know, young people and other people to connect the dots between Marxism and principles in our constitution of liberty, independence, and freedom, but also have them acknowledge, like, listen, those three documents that made us the great experiment in self-governance, those hailed from from a majority standpoint from Christian men on Christian premises, and it's rooted and founded in the Word of God. So that's why I think, you know, uh, dudes who are heavy on apologetics and preaching the Christian worldview— I think they're going to come to the forefront because we're in the clash of civilization. This is a battle of ideas. And I think business as usual type church to where, you know, you teach the kids just Bible stories. You need to be teaching the kids apologetics and the Christian worldview. And if you don't do that, Pastor, if you're listening, if you don't, if you don't get serious about doctrine, if you don't get serious about the, the founding and framing of the United States and the, and the Christian, uh, heavy Christian influence in those founding documents and birthing this great experiment in self-governance, then you need to do two things. Number one, quit. And number two, start teaching your children uh, Mandarin because they're going to be speaking Chinese if you don't get off your ass. So are you pastoring right now? I am, believe it or not. And I didn't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, actually, that's probably best. People who volunteer for the job, I, I, it's people who are called that should be doing the job. Let's put it that way, not people who necessarily volunteer for the job because hey, that looks cool. I used to be in the ministry and uh, loved preaching, loved teaching, did it all over the world, uh, and then my publishing uh, news portal, ClashDaily.com, which is a 280 million page views, it took off like a rocket. And I said, you know what? I think this is where I'm graced at this juncture. So. You know, love you guys, but I'm out. And I just, you know, just really poured into publishing and running Clash Daily and writing books and, and uh, painting and, and doing speaking gigs, you know, around the United States. And then when COVID hit, I saw all these pastors shutting down their church because their stupid mayor or their governor told them to. It's like, you show me one place in the scripture where Jesus says the bad cold's going around. Uh, that we're not supposed to greet each other with a holy kiss, that we're not supposed to take communion, that we're not supposed to assemble in person, and I'll eat a tube sock because it's not in there. Then all the Christians said, they're like, well, it says in Romans 13 that we're to obey our civil magistrates. I was like, well, keep reading. If, if they cheer on what's good and if they punish evil, then you're to obey them. And if you oppose that, then you oppose the ordinance of God. But to to label churches unessential and say that we can't gather together to hear the Word of God, to follow the Apostles' teaching, to break bread and pray together or worship together, that's evil. And you're not supposed to obey that. You're duty-bound to disobey that. And uh, like Benjamin Franklin said, uh, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. That's what the Christian's supposed to do. 
And so a lot of the churches in, in my neck of the woods, they freaking folded up like a cheap suit. And, um, and you know, we started this Bible study called Cigars and Sermons. And um, I just felt God's like, okay, we need to make this serious. We need to fill in the gap. I don't want to be, you know, the cat in Ezekiel 3 where God says, I look for a man to stand in the gap and I didn't find anybody. So yeah, here I am, send me, Lord. And uh, I got pulled off retirement like George Blanda and started kicking field goals again. So come on back after the break and we'll continue our conversation with Doug Giles, your American heritage. We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation. That finally breaks the chains We were made to be courageous We were made to be courageous We were warriors on the front lines Standing unafraid Welcome back to the second half of Your American Heritage. We're having a conversation with Pastor Doug Giles, author of Psalms of War. And uh, we've been talking about the Christian response to the persecution that's going around, the oppression of the government towards uh, Christians and, and the nation in general. And um, we're talking about the response of people to ministry. And uh, just like to say that I was going to a church I had attended to for like almost 30 years. I taught the Bible there, and uh, then the pastor shut it down for COVID. Great guy, good friend of mine, but uh, we got an argument about it. As why are Christians being complicit in their own persecution? And uh, so I found another church, and that pastor said, hey, I closed for a couple weeks because I thought it was the right thing to do. It never happens again. I'll be like Pastor Archer, chasing the demons right, right out of his church. An amazing thing. Just <laughs> chasing armed police out of his church. Just get out, get out. And, you know. Yeah, call, call them Nazis appropriately. Yeah. I think, any, I think any pastor that shut down more than two weeks when when Trump said, okay, look, let's try to... Uh, flatten the curve. Know, squash. Yeah, let's flatten the curve. Let's... Ed, I've been on uh, email exchanges with various churches to where the pastor is saying, well, let's see what our governor says and then we'll... then we will uh, reassemble in a safe manner. What happened to the governor called the Lord Jesus Christ, who's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If people don't think that there were contagions going around the first century when he was incarnate ministering, they're not even a squirrel turd. There was this stuff called leprosy. And Jesus, just to prove a point, in Matthew chapter 8, he went up, went up and touched the leper who asked for him to be made clean. Now, Jesus could heal him with a word because, you know, he did that with the centurion's daughter. Mm-hmm. He just said the word, boom, it's not even anywhere close to her in proximity. Bam, she's clean. Jesus, to make a point that I'm not going to stiff arm you, I'm not going to treat you, you know, like your persona non grata, that, that leper not only needed, you know, his nose, hands, and toes, and his penis back that had been rot- rotted off with leprosy, he also probably needed a little TLC, and Christ gave it to him. And I think I think pastors who shut down longer than two weeks, I think they should repent because that's a sin, and it's called cowardice. You're a coward. 
you obey the government, you're fearful of your 501c3. I think, I think cowardice, well, I don't think it. I mean, Revelation 21, verse 8 says the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, the second death, it says it's a place for all liars and cowards and adulterers and murderers. And, and we don't see cowardice as a sin nowadays. And Christ said, if you're ashamed of me and my words in this perverted and adulterous generation, I'm going to be ashamed of you. So I think pastors who shut down and socially distance, which you can't find that in the Bible, man. I mean, you can use common sense. Like if Granny's over there and she's 90 and she's been eating bacon, you know, for 80 years and she's been smoking camel no filters and she's got a gut that's bigger than Rosie O'Donnell's, then don't send your eight-year-old snot-nosed kid over there to sit on her lap. You know, we can use common sense, but to, to shut the church down, which is God's eternal purpose, and for us to not carry on the dominion mandate and the Great Commission because some little pipsqueak liberal governor or mayor told you to, you're a coward, my friend, and you need to repent before the congregation. And I would hand in my preaching license if I did that stuff. Well, there is a verse. There is the verse that says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together, as is the... Hello. Yeah, no, I, I, exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, here's what they say. Well, we're still gathering together with Zoom and on Facebook and YouTube. And I'm like, FYI, Zoom is a Chinese app. <laughs> Facebook hates Christians, <laughs> and so does YouTube and Google. And so you're going to obey the enemy, again, because there's a bad cold going around that 99.9% of the people recover from and don't take the big dirt nap? What kind of silly, stupid Christianity does that so-called priest, pastor, vicar, and cleric have? Because I guarantee, man, Moss didn't shut down, and you didn't see the enforcement of the crap that happened to Christian churches, to mosques, and it's it's just abysmal the level of wussification that's in uh, Christian ministries. We should have told them to go pound sand like Pulaski did, like, uh, what's the guy's name up in uh, Edmonton, Canada? James Coates, Pastor James Coates did. These guys went to jail, man. Mm -hmm. And uh, John MacArthur, 80-year-old stalwart of the faith, uh, he too said, no, we're keeping open. Rob McCoy. My friend Neil Mama goes to Rob's church and... uh... You know, they didn't shut down uh, fee after fine after fine after fine. Rack them up. Well, here's the here's thing about Christianity, and that, again, you'd think that pastors would know this, but in the book of Acts, when people started getting martyred, and Peter and John would get jailed, Paul would get jailed, uh, everybody's thinking, well, you know, you know, Rome is just opposed to the deity of Christ. It's like Rome is opposed to saying that Jesus is Lord over Caesar. That's what Rome was opposed to, because Rome had a pantheon of gods. Asia Minor, you know, was filled with gods. You know, I mean, again, Rome had the whole pantheon to all the gods, you know. And, um, and so they didn't care who you worshipped or what you worshipped. What they did care about is that if you didn't obey... Uh, the rules of the state. And that's where you see great acts of holy rebellion, like with Peter and John in particular in Acts chapter 4, when they told Peter and John, hey, you don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus Christ, and they threw him in jail, and then they 
started getting a lot of major negative pushback because a notable miracle had happened with that guy who'd been crippled for all his life. And, you know, Peter laid hands on him and boom, he's up and dancing. And uh, Peter said, you know, whether it seems right to you or not, he said, we're not going to stop speaking. He said, this same Christ that, that you're complaining about is the one that you crucified. And um, yeah, we're going to keep on talking. And if you don't like it, then, uh, you know, go boohoo in a corner. And then they prayed to God that God would give them great boldness to continue speaking in the name of Christ. And the place was shaken. And the church, I think, tripled after that. Most, most pastors, they went to jail now. Oh, my God. They'd be crying about it on Facebook, you know, ad nauseum, ad infinitum for the next 15 years. What these guys did is that they confronted uh, the evil magistrates, said, we're not going to obey you. They said, we'll throw you in jail. So like, do whatever, you know. Christ said, we're going to be hated. And they kept rocking and rolling. So you have a podcast called Warriors and Wild Men, right? Yeah, that Warriors and Wild Men, which I share with uh, my buddy, good buddy, Rich Whitmer. And I've got uh, my own podcast called Clash Radio. Yeah. And uh, I listen to Warriors and Wild Men. I've subscribed to that. I mean, there's only so many things on this planet I can listen to and still do a day job and talk to my wife at night, you know. But uh, I really enjoyed, I really enjoy that. And you come across as not your normal, fluffy Christian pastor. You know, I, my friend uh, Sean Todd. You know, he calls him. He has a show called uh, uh, the Intersection. He says, uh, "Not your normal fluffy Christian show." And uh, you're pretty much along those lines too. Except <laughs> I think your language is a little bit rougher than most. And uh, how does that play? Well, go ahead. I'm wondering, how does that play with your congregation? Well, I, yeah, I try to behave uh, 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 when I'm in person, got mixed audiences and stuff. But, you know, I, I went to one of the most prestigious seminaries uh, at that time, uh, Knox Theological Seminary. Got to sit under the tutelage and become friends with Dr. R.C. Sproul and Dr. James Kennedy. Good on you. And John... <laughs> Yeah, no, it was a, it was it's really a, uh, a divine thing that happened because I didn't even know who those guys were. I was just looking for a seminary in Miami to go to. So I have I have the education, um, uh, you know, for what that's worth. Um, but I learned to preach on the streets and in prisons and jails and stuff. And man, you had to get those people's attention, or they're going to, you know stick you head down in the toilet. <laughs> so I, and, and, and again, you know, I've, I've have been a nationally syndicated columnist on townhall.com for, for many years. I was the only uh, Christian initially, the only pastor in particular. I didn't want to speak Christianese. I wanted to freaking talk how people talk. And um, what's, what's interesting is that if you really deep dive into uh, the original languages, you know, uh, of Greek and, or Hebrew and Aramaic, there's some brutal language, man. There's some passages in Ezekiel that I guarantee you probably never heard talked about in your typical evangelical, easy breezy, you know, summer squeezy type churches. When Ezekiel, uh, <laughs> man, Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, just very rough calling the people of God whores, say that you spread your legs to everything that passes by, 
you like the flesh of donkeys and the issues of horses. I mean, that's some brutal stuff. Yeah. And then if, if then if you look at then if you look at you know the dysfunctional, heavily sexualized, goofy, inbred stuff that happened in in Genesis. Again, they don't teach you that crap in uh, in youth group, but it's there. And um, uh, I think Peter, I don't know if he was talking to Ananias and Sapphira or some magician that was trying to buy the Holy Spirit because he was really dazzled by how Peter operated and could do miracles. Yeah, that was Simon, I think, right? Yeah, so, so, so you know, the authorized version say, may you perish with your money. And uh, then you get other squeaky clean versions like the NIV and other uh, uh, text, they even, you know, further dilute it. But in the, in the Greek, it's Peter says to hell with you and your money. Can you imagine if somebody <laughs> said that today? And Paul, Paul, when he's talking about, he wants a righteousness, uh, that is by faith, something that is completely foreign and alien to any kind of workspace righteousness he calls all of his righteous deeds that he did as a Pharisee and all the, you know, illustrious stuff that he learned, did, and knew, and, and uh, understood. He said all that stuff to me, and the King James says it's dung. The, the Greek is skubalon, and skubalon is only used one time in the New Testament, and it's when Paul is talking about his righteousness compared to Jesus's righteousness and scubalon in the Greek is dog. Well, we, we're going to beat that out, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what we do is that we get Lysol disinfectant and we scrub it clean. And, you know, it's, we just, we turn this thing into brother. I think something, you know, when Jesus called people, people, uh, vipers and sepulchers and, you know, just tombs of death. And I mean, <clears throat> He called a woman a dog, you know? Yeah. She's like, Jesus, hey, my daughter's acting like Miley Cyrus. Can you come help me? He goes, I don't throw it solely to dogs. Bro, dogs were mongrels back then. They're mm -hmm. not these, oh, yeah. they're not a cute accoutrements that women take to the wine bar and walk on a, you know, bedazzled crystal leash. These, I think people just really don't ap appreciate how gritty and how rough the language was. Do I cross the line? Sometimes, absolutely. But Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But we find that guys don't go to church, you know? Guys don't go to church. And why don't guys go to church? Because they don't want to be in a congregation of a bunch of people singing boyfriend songs to Jesus. I went to a men's group a couple months ago, and it was all guys, and guys leading the worship. I was like, oh, man, that's so refreshing, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, Men, you know, excluding Bruce Jenner, you know, want more than any want more than anything uh, to be masculine, and so they see going to your typical evangelical church. Uh, they they see if they get converted to Jesus, they got to hand over their brains and their balls, and most guys don't want to do that, and so you get illogical sermons uh, that are feelings, nothing more than feelings, and like you said, you get erotic kind of sappy. Uh, uh, worship songs where you got a man's got to do mental gymnastics, you know, to even <laughs> understand and appreciate uh, what those people, what they're saying. 
But this is a problem that goes back, you know, I, I date it to the 12th century and the effects of uh, Bernard of Clairvaux who introduced. So for people who don't know who Bernard of Clairvaux is, he, he was pretty much the kind of Joel Osteen of his day. So everybody followed his lead. Everybody, uh, he, was a, he was a psalmist also, so he, he wrote a lot of songs. And he viewed himself as a woman. And so he had this syllogism, uh, Ed, where, you know, the church is a bride, I'm a Christian. Therefore, if the church is a bride and I'm a Christian, then I'm a woman. And I'm like, well, that's, you kind of missed, uh, uh, what were his <laughs> interpreted. Pronouns? Yeah. So that's like saying, Ed, that's like saying, you know, uh, love is blind. God is love. You know, Stevie Wonder is blind. Therefore, Stevie Wonder's God. It's like, no, I'm a son. I'm a son of God, and I am the bride of Christ, but that's us as a corporate body. But as for me, I'm a dude, and so I like dude stuff. And there's an aspect where women, you know, are to be conformed into the image of the son. So, but what happened with Bernard de Clairvaux is that... Uh, he started having all of his priests, all of his underlings, uh, refer to themselves as women. Uh, the, the liturgy became very erotic and very feminine. And then you lay on top of that, uh, the enlightenment, the supposed divorce between faith and reason. And so Christianity was a leap of faith and science was reasonable and rational. And that's, you know, uh, again, where, you know, most, men go towards make it make sense instead of this is what I feel. And then you throw on top of the uh, enlightenment, the industrial revolution, which, uh, which did, it took the, the Sabbath and made it a work day, which pulled men into factories and, mm-hmm. and away from, you know, the, the spiritual uh, education of the family and the children in particular. And so basically it was just women and kids going to church while the men are off at work during the industrial revolution. And that really put a dent in men's church attendance uh, during that uh, age of productivity. And then on top of that, in the late 1800s, you have the temperance movement where you got these bearded women and these limp, you know, noodle pastors telling everybody beer's bad. And so it just really drove the dudes off, man, at the beginning of the 19th century. And I think uh, I don't think we've ever recovered because prior to the 12th century, uh, attendance in the church was pretty much a 50-50 uh, demographic split between uh, the dudes and the dudettes. And then the effects of Bernard de Clairvaux, you know, again, albeit, you know, the weird anomaly where guys are really there in force and leadership and everything else, everything's driven by the women. And again, I'm not anti-women. I've got three alpha females that bear my last name and uh, they're a force of nature. My whole thing is it's not, you know, uh, women being present in ministry. It's the perennial absence of men being absent in everything from, you know, masculine men. When's the last time you've gone into a church and you've got a pastor who's got a John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, Steve McQueen type of vibe? My it's church. Everybody's just, <laughs> okay. Good My for church. you, brother. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, And then with the worship leader, where do you have a worship leader that's not in skinny jeans in front of a big screen, has got smoke machine blowing stuff underneath them? Man, we yeah. are telling you, uh, if I was a woman, I would be screaming 
for the alpha dogs to come back because it's a curse to a church. It's a curse to a nation. When you remove the warrior and the wild men, people think I'm full of crap. Go to Isaiah 3. When Israel was finding it inconvenient to follow God, God has multiple ways of judging people. Frogs, hemorrhoids, you know, does all kinds of things. Crash your economy. I mean, he can he can hit you, you know, six ways from Sunday. But what he did to Israel at that juncture in Isaiah 3 is that he removed the mighty man, the warrior, the elder, and, uh, and you know, these expert male tribesmen from their midst. And he let women and capricious young lads rule the nation, and subsequently, they fell into the enemy's hands for, I think, about a good 40, 60 years. Yeah, I'm, I'm with my Bible study, we're studying Judges right now, and it, it basically starts out saying uh, Israel did not know how to war, and so basically God was going to teach them how to war. And, you know, they learned how to war about every 80 years. I think we're in that position right now, is that uh, we need to learn how to how to war, how to how to pray, how to, uh, like your version of Psalm 83, 1 through 5, don't give me the silent treatment, oh God, your enemies are out there whooping it up. You know, read these verses in the, in the light of their intent. Yeah, and I think I think it's Psalm 83, I could be wrong, it might be Psalm 68, where David, because uh, he repeats himself a lot, because he's always in some kind of crap sling. That kid <laughs> got in more trouble than... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, again... This is something that Christians should aspire to. It's like, oh, I want to have a heart for, for God, just like David did. Well, go get in a bunch of trouble. That's how David knew God like he knew him. He was always in some kind of, uh, some kind of fix, man. And he said in Psalm 129, he said, the enemy's been plowing my back ever since I was born. And so a lot of people who want to know God, you know, like David did, and write songs like David did, and and pray like David did, they avoid the fray uh, that David joyfully ran into. I used to ride with some guys, a club, and um, I got out of that when I got saved. I didn't want the lifestyle, want to clean up my act. I know some guys, I know particularly a guy, Mark Falsetti, and I found him on Facebook. He's a local guy, and I'm going to have him on soon. And he stayed in the biker community. And he is, man, he is on fire for God. And he's turning those guys towards God. And it's, it's an amazing thing. I didn't know it could be done. I guess I gave too short a shrift to what my God can do. Yeah, it's, um, uh, Jesus loves bad people. And that's the thing that just really, you know, not only uh, is it sickening that pastors, you know, shut the door to God's eternal purpose during a bad cold, they're freaking obeying, you know, these godless governors and mayors and presidents instead of obeying the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But another thing that pisses me off is that how come non-Christians don't want to be around you? Jesus was a friend of sinners. Uh, sinners love to be around him. But ask, you know, the Christians got to ask themselves, how come all my friends are Christians? That's a good point, Doug. In the last couple of minutes we got, I'd like to talk to you about your daughter, Hannah, and her work with Project Veritas. Well, uh, she was, she's, never, she's never worked with uh, Veritas. She came up with the, the, the sting operation to infiltrate ACORN and show them giving home loans for whorehouses for underage sex slaves from El Salvador, which saved us $8.5 billion in stimulus money going to Obama's claim to fame, the CD organization ACORN. 
And um, she hired James to be the videographer, but she's never worked for him. He, she made him. He, <laughs> she made yeah, him. As far as I'm concerned, she founded Project Veritas. He's just got the name. Yeah, she's uh, she's a, and she did it the ripe old age, uh, Ed of nineteen with her own money, thirteen hundred bucks, and um, it's that she's speaks. been awarded uh, awards that were given to Russian dis- dissidents and Iranian dissidents for you know just flipping governments and. Um, the only time that there was a bipartisan vote in Obama's uh, two terms to do anything was the defunding of ACORN, which they did on April Fool's Day, which is apropos of 2010. Well, she's a credit to you and your wife. Really good job there. Um, keep on keeping on. I'll be listening. I appreciate you coming on and encouraging the listeners. Right on, Ed. Thank you very much, buddy. Stay All right. God bless you. Thanks. Bye. You too.